This is the MedTech True Quality Stories podcast. Each week, we embark on a new storytelling journey with different MedTech executives as they share real-world, actionable best practices for medical device leaders. You'll gain invaluable insights into how these industry pioneers are successfully imagining, implementing, and improving true quality medical devices. Now here's your host, John Spear, founder and vice president of Quality Assurance and Regulatory Affairs at Greenlight Guru. How important is establishing a culture of quality within your medtech company? And when should you do it? Is now the right time? Well, I think... After you listen to this episode of MedTech True Quality Stories with Devin Campbell, I think you'll understand that doing so early is very important to the success of your company. Devin is a guy, he's currently founder at Product P-R-O-D-C-T L-L-C. He's been there, done that, folks. He's had some successes. He's had some exits. He understands the holistic approach to this. And, and now when he works with companies, he helps them establish that culture of quality as soon as possible, not just looking at now, but you know, looking at where you want to be and making sure that your systems and your processes and what you're doing can align and, and meet those objectives. So enjoy this episode of MedTech True Quality Stories. Hello, and welcome to MedTech True Quality Stories, a brand new podcast from Greenlight Guru. Yes, you're probably used to, or maybe you've heard episodes on the Global Medical Device Podcast. Folks, that's still a thing, but this MedTech True Quality Stories is a, an exciting way for us to be able to talk to med tech professionals who are in the trenches, so to speak, focusing on true quality. I'm excited today. I've got Devin Campbell. Devin is the founder of Product LLC joining me on today's episode. So welcome, Devin. Great. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. I guess before we get too deep into some of your personal experiences on MedTech True Quality Stories, tell mm -hmm. the folks a little bit about who you are and a little bit about product and, and what you're doing these days. Sure. I'll, I'll start with product. So product is a small boutique advisory firm. We lead innovative biotech medical device and diagnostic companies earlier in their process to try to establish, create, and then execute on efficient and practical product development, manufacturing, and quality strategies. Or to say, where do you want to be when, when the company is bigger? Yeah. What do we need to do now to be able to be ready for that? And we kind of we fit in that small niche market right at the very, right at the very beginning. Yeah. And you and I had a chance to, um, I mean, I knew you were a user of Greenlight Guru for one of our customers, mm -hmm. but I'll be mm -hmm. honest, I didn't know that much about you. And I'm, I feel very uh, fortunate that you and I actually got to meet face to face a couple of weeks back at the uh, True Quality Roadshow, excuse me, uh, that we had in Boston. And, and uh, yeah, it was a great event. Yeah. We, and when I got to talk to you, I was like, oh my goodness, Devin would be terrific on MedTech True Quality Stories, not just because of your mindset and approach, but you have had some successes that a lot of, I think, MedTech startups and, and early stage companies are trying to achieve. And so your role at product is, is perfect for these companies to try to help them get to that next stage, get to that significant event, whether that be an exit or or you know, raising an additional round of funding, or just you know, simply getting a submission into FDA or some other regulatory body. You've you've been there, done that. 
Yeah, I mean, it's been, so I've been working in, in med tech space now for over 20 years, a good portion of that as a design engineer. So down in the trenches, working through product development, I had the opportunity to produce a, a number of very commercially successful products early in my career, have continued to grow with responsibility. And I think one of the reasons that I attained success and increased responsibility so early is that I, I was the kind of guy that didn't want to sit there at my desk. I wanted to reach out and really understand what are the implications of what I'm doing as an engineer to all of my downstream customers. And I don't mean just ultimate customers. I mean the folks that run quality. I mean the folks that are in manufacturing. I mean the folks that have to service the instrument in the field. So I was the kind of person that would purposely say, go put me on the manufacturing floor for two months. I want to understand what it's like to really build these products. Put me in the field. I want to service these things and travel around and understand the challenges that they have. And in that sort of environment, I worked very closely with all of those groups and quality and regulatory teams to understand, all right, well, what is it that we need to do? Why is the quality system designed in certain ways? And how can I help feed into that better? And I think using that approach and that, that more holistic mindset really benefited me professionally and has allowed me the opportunity to have produced a lot of different instruments. I've had two exits in my background and get to the point where now I turn the page and I'm trying to take a lot of those learnings and those experiences and help smaller, younger companies benefit from that and, and get established on the right foot right from the start. Yeah, that's terrific. It, it, when you were sharing that, it it uh, reminded me of some of my early experiences as a product development engineer as well. And in, in fact, just a couple of days ago, I was at the store and, and I bumped into a lady that she worked in the manufacturing department uh, for one of the first companies that I worked with. She taught me a lot about how important it is not just to be a design engineer, but realize that that the thing that you're designing, you have to be able to to manufacture it. And, and she was very patient with me, but man, I, I credit her uh, and her, her patience with me and her, her teaching uh, towards me. That really helped me to be more successful as a product development engineer. So I, I really can, yeah. can relate to your experiences. I, I uh, also was very fortunate. I had a boss early on. He, he had more of a sales and marketing background and his mentality towards product development engineers is you got to get out there. You got to go work with sales folks and get in the field and work with the doctors and nurses who are going to use the product. It's, it's very important, I think, for, for, uh, for those develop, designing and developing new devices to do that. I mean, and it seems like a lot of companies kind of get away from that, you know? I agree. I, I think a lot of times folks find themselves kind of more sheltered and maybe it, it feels like a safer place to be. Um, but I think it, it's a more interesting journey and, it, and it's better for the product and for the patients to be able to get out and, and understand how interconnected everything is. Yeah, and, and I think this gets to, to something that we're going to talk a little bit more about today. And, and I think having that more holistic approach is really important to have a culture of quality. And I know this, that phrase is a little cliche, you know, culture is, is a, a buzzword these days and quality is sort of this nebulous thing that, that people are trying to understand and wrap their head around. And, and I, I guess it would be interesting to, to you know, you and I've chatted a little bit about this, but I'd, I'd be interested to hear sort of your take on what's important about culture of quality and, and really about how important it is to establish that early within an organization. Can you maybe elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, 
Culture is a, it, it, it's a tricky thing. And, and once it gets established in an organization, it can be hard to turn the ship. It can take a lot of effort. So when I'm looking at true quality and when I'm looking at, you know, building a culture of quality for my clients now, we try to start off small and kind of appropriately sized projects and infrastructure that we want to build that is appropriate for what they're trying to do at the time, but helps set the mindset and helps set the right way to think about how we develop products and how we'll commercialize products such that as they continue down the road, now we're starting to bring in purchasing controls and we're starting to bring in manufacturing controls and all these other more you know, later stream aspects, that culture of quality, that, that right mindset, the way to think of things and what we want to value as a development organization, we, I try to work with my clients to establish that early so that we understand um, what it is we're gonna need to do and that we don't dig ourselves into holes that eventually when we want or, or when we're at the point where we need specific quality capabilities in place, that it's, we don't want it to be a struggle. It wants to be natural and kind of part of the team. And okay, it's just one more thing. Now we take our mindset about, about peer reviews and, and building in quality to what we do. And now we're just going to apply it to purchasing. Now we're just going to apply it to manufacturing work instruction development. And you kind of take that and, and propagate it through. And if we've established it early, it absolutely makes a huge difference in, in the organization's ability to scale. Yeah, and, and I think sometimes these p- people get uh, quality and compliance sort of intertwined with one another. And, and I think yeah. sometimes you know, people, you know, they, companies, they'll, they'll, they'll try to focus on the compliance things. And they're like, oh, it's overly burdensome and it's too constraining and it's too restricting and things like that. But personally, I don't believe that. I, I believe if, if that's the way your system is, then you, know, you might want to reconsider <laughs> re-architecting your system. I mean, can you talk a little yeah. bit about the, the dichotomy of compliance versus true quality and some of the things that you've seen that have worked well and maybe some examples that maybe didn't go so well? Sure. I mean, I spoke a little bit about it during the True Quality Roadshow event that Greenlight Guru hosted here in Boston about a month or two ago. And building the quality system and, and doing what you need to do to meet the regulatory needs and just to punch your ticket and get going and get what you need to be able to move into the next phase you know, that might be okay insofar as, you know, it, it gets you to the point where your ticket's punched and you can take the next step. But if you build and focus on product quality and, and what does it mean to, to deliver a quality product that meets the needs of your stakeholders, internal and external, including patients and the people that benefit from these medical devices, and you take that quality approach and you build that and you weave it into everything that you're doing, I kind of feel the compliance piece just naturally falls yeah. into place. <clears throat> yeah. Of course, there's certain things you're going to have to do to, to put together technical construction files and do very specific things in a way that other regulatory agencies want you to organize them. But you have the right data and the right information to organize and package in the way that they might want it if you use that focus on quality right from the very beginning. And that's well said. I totally agree with that. I mean, you shouldn't structure your system to be compliant. You should structure your system on, on the true quality and what that means to all the stakeholders that are involved. And I agree with you. I think exactly. compliance will, will be a, a natural byproduct of that. 
Now you hinted earlier that leading up to where you are today, you've you've had a couple of of I'll say exciting events. I think you've had some exits, some things yeah. that, that just yeah. about every startup in in the probably the world as as well as in the med tech industry are trying to achieve. Talk a little bit about that journey and and the things that that were important along that journey in order for that uh, exit event to happen. So early in my career, I worked for a company called Ventana Medical Systems, which eventually we got purchased by Roche. Um, and that was the, the first of my uh, exciting events, uh, to, to use your term. And I think one of the things that we did at Ventana, we, we really focused on taking that holistic picture. We weren't just developing products and pumping them out there. We, we were looking, and I was fortunate enough to have a management team and mentors and advisors there that pushed me to kind of go look more at the bigger picture. And that was inherent in the entire company. That, that was just part of the leadership uh, modus operandi. It's, it was in our mentality. And they're really the ones that kind of helped me take a look at that. And by developing these products that, that met the needs of a wide variety of stakeholders, purposefully, consciously, trying to make the products meet those, meet those expectations with not just robust requirements, but also going out and, and talking to all those stakeholders and understanding how the product would best work in their hands. When you build up products like that, it is evident when you have a purchasing company come in that looking at you know, doing an M&A type activity, it rings through. In the meetings that I was involved with talking on the technical side with the folks at Roche about, you know, what have we done and how do we do product development and how do the products work and, and why do they do certain things in the way that they, they, they work? It was very clear that there was an acknowledgement that you guys have taken the right steps here. You've really built not just a product that works, but a high quality product. And I, I can't imagine that that didn't have you know, a very strong um, benefit to allowing Roche to take a look at us and say, is this something that we want to be involved in? Is this something we want to move forward with? Of course, strong commercial success and everything else of the company was valuable. But if you don't have, when they come in and they audit us and they take a look at the, the way that we're developing products, if you don't have that good quality infrastructure built in to begin with, then you know, it's, it's a little bit of smoke and mirrors. And, but fortunately we had the whole package. So we, we were able to um, secure a nice, uh, a nice, exciting event. Yeah. And I think a lot of times uh, I hear startups that they're like, Oh, well, I'm just going to race to the proverbial finish line. Uh, you know, I, I hear you, John, mm -hmm. I know you're a quality system guy and a design control guy and, and I get it, but, but that's, that's not on our critical path right now. We're trying to get to a point where we can get a submission and get clearance and, and prepare for an exit. And, and I'm like, folks, listen, I'm not uh, paying lip service to quality and its importance just for the sake of, you know, trying to sell EQMS software. Yeah, Greenlight Guru, we do have EQMS software, of course. I want you to understand that this actually not only uh, is a benefit to you in operating your business, but it also if you want the, the best valuation possible, this is a critical element of ensuring that that's going to happen. I think a lot of times people lose sight of that. Let me give you an example. It's right on those lines, John. Two of my current clients right now, uh, two organizations that I'm working with and helping them build their infrastructure. In both cases, 
the experience that's been created for me in helping, and these are very early stage, you know, seed money round companies looking for their A's, their A rounds. In both of these cases, where we establish kind of a quality, don't think quality plan insofar as like a documented, you know, document yet that says here's our quality policy and everything else, but kind of an overarching quality strategy and establishing that and kind of writing it down and talking about here's how we're going to develop these products once we're funded uh, or, or have additional funding. This is the approach we're going to take. This is the mentality we're going to take. This is the culture we're going to build as we bring new employees in and we start to grow these teams. Reducing that to a couple slides and talking about that, that overall kind of quality vision of how we're going to do stuff, in my experience, has been deeply valued by the VC firms that these small startups are pitching to because uh, they usually invite me there as, uh, to kind of help them and, and help field certain questions that might come up about the development and product development strategy. And when these VC firms see that these companies are thinking through, these small companies are thinking through what they need to do later, they put more value on the fact that one, you know, this, this team kind of knows what they're doing, but two, they're going to develop a quality product when they get there. And it's not going to be, I'm just racing, racing, racing to get something in clinical. And there's a chance it might not work in clinicals because you know, you haven't thought through the human factors engineering piece of it, or you haven't thought through what's it going to do in these different environments. But having that quality culture right up front, they have valued that to say, if we invest in these guys, if we invest in this company, they have a much better likelihood of getting to that end point, whereas a lot of startups don't. Because they're appreciating the value that quality can bring, the quality mindset can bring really early in the development process. I love that. Uh, Devin, I'm going to take a, a quick pause. I want to remind folks that Greenlight Guru has a true quality roadshow. That's right. We have been in Indianapolis. We've been in Atlanta. We've been in Boston. I suspect by the time that this episode airs, the Minneapolis event uh, that's scheduled for June 13th uh, would have come and gone. But don't worry, we have other stops throughout the country. Uh, we'll be in San Francisco in July. We'll be in Houston in August, Orange County in October, and San Diego in November. So just go type in to any search engine, Greenlight Guru, uh, True Quality Roadshow, and uh, sign up. It's free. Uh, we'd love to, to meet you face-to-face. We'd love to have an opportunity to interact with you and hear about your true quality stories and, and things that you're doing in this medtech industry to improve the quality of life. So be sure to go check that out. And of course, as I mentioned on the onset, uh, in addition to medtech true quality stories, Greenlight Guru also has the number one podcast in the medical device industry, the Global Medical Device Podcast. So wherever you're listening to this episode, you'll also be able to find the Global Medical Device Podcast. So go check those things out. Devin, um, you know, in the spirit of kind of building that cultural quality early in the process, you're working with a company that, that we know pretty well here at Greenlight Guru, NanoView. And mm-hmm. I, I think they're doing some things that, that some might say are, are overboard because they don't have to. But talk a little bit about their story and, and why you know, this true quality framework is important and their story. Yeah, sure. So NanoView is an exciting uh, life science tool, emerging company. They're, they've closed their A and B rounds. And after they close their B, 
they reached out and, and eventually engaged with me to help figure out what's the right development strategy from here out and, and how to take the, the product that they have done good work with and, and what do we need to do to try to mature that and to make it manufacturable and bring it into the manufacturing environment so that we can scale up even more than they already have. And eventually, they would like to be able to go you know, the FDA route and as a regulated device. But right now, they're selling as a research use only life science tool. I have seen in the past other companies use that RUO label as kind of a get out of jail free card, right? As, as a reason to say, well, I'm RUO, so I don't need to have all these quality systems in place yet because I don't have a regulator, you know, checking off all the different tick boxes. You know, uh, I'll get there eventually when I need to get there. And my experience has been that when it is time to try to get there, it becomes very difficult if you haven't built the quality system to begin with and you haven't captured the documentation and built your design history files and got everything else in place. So Nanoview, to their credit, one of the things that they wanted me to do to help them right up from the start was they recognized the value of quality, but they weren't sure exactly how to put that quality system in place and what to do and how to build a development cycle around it. So they brought me in, and one of the first things that we tried to do was build little baby steps. We put together a, a quality policy, um, put together, well, what do we need right now to really make sure we don't step on our own toes? Well, we should have some document control. Let's make sure that we have that in place. And me researching tools that uh, ultimately brought me to, to find and, and um, utilize Greenlight Guru for them, which turned out to be a perfect tool for what they're trying to do. And we're using the, uh, the, they're using the Go package uh, right now, which is perfect because it's, it's just enough of what you need to be able to get started without you know, biting off a big giant chunk, which you know, from those, some of those more downstream processes that, that you'll need in place. But what I liked about the approach that I've taken with Nanoview, the quality policy that we did write it's a quality policy that is all-inclusive, and it keeps an eye toward where we want to be maybe two generations from the product line that they have right now. The one they have right now being the RUO version, and we think that you know, a couple generations out would likely be one that needs you know, full IVDD and FDA regulatory approval. So we built the quality policy to meet those needs, those very, very long-term needs by starting with the end in mind and allowing us to say, well, this is what we're going to do. There are sections of the quality policy that, we, that I specifically kind of carved out to say, when we get there, we will do these things. But for right now, we're going to do this because it lends itself to that later version. And so we can start to build up um, the right documentation packages that we need Maybe it's not formatted exactly in the right way that we might need it to, to be when we go for CE mark as an IBDD type approach, but the, the bones are there. The, the infrastructure is there in place. By building that quality policy and by thinking through you know, bite size, I think you guys call it, I think you typically call it bootstrapping your quality yeah. system, right? Yeah. Where you use a little bit and you use it like just in time, just what you need at that moment. And that's exactly the same kind of philosophy that I bring to. And I think Nanoview is a great example of a company that is doing, going out of their way, even though they're RUO now, to build the right mindset and the right culture and the right documentation and the right infrastructure 
so that when they are ready to take a product through a regulatory approval process, they'll be in great shape. They, they will have everything they need in place rather than trying to come back later and saying, scrambling, saying we don't have this documentation package in place or we haven't been revising documents under document control. All of a sudden now, the very first one you're going to publish is Rev Zero. You know, that kind of sends a little bit of a red flag that makes you, you know, from an auditing perspective, say, well, where's all of the design history until this Rev Zero? And I think Nanavi is doing, doing a great job of, of building that quality, culture of quality right from the very start. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. I, I, I love that story. I think a lot of times I, I talk to companies or learn about companies that it's kind of the opposite. They're they're trying to play catch up and and they don't, you know, they, they focus on that that event, but not necessarily the behaviors, the architecture, the systems that are really necessary mm-hmm. for them to get there. So I love that you you you're focused on the here and now, but you're looking a little bit ahead to where you wanna be and making sure that the system is adapted in a way that that will help you get to where you want to be and and that's that's really great so Devin as we kind of wrap up today's conversation tell the folks a a little bit more well I guess before we get there what is maybe one or two tidbits or tips or or practical advice that you would give others that that might be in a situation like NanoView or other startups out there what are some some take-home tips that you might provide those folks I think documentation control is actually more important than a lot of people think it is. You know, it'll often bristle the hairs on the back of on, on the, the backs of the necks of engineers to say like, oh God, document control. We're, we're going to put something in our document control already. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you're laughing because you know exactly what I mean. And I, I take a different approach to it. I, I think as long as you can, you approach document control in a phase savvy a way. And what I mean by that is you're not at the very end. You're at the very, very early stages, especially for these startups. It makes sense to do a little bit of document control, meaning you pause for a moment, you take a breath in the super fast race that you're running, and you have a peer review what it is that you're, you're working on. They might catch one or two things, you know, a couple different errors or a couple different defects in, in your work product, whether it's code, whether it's an engineering drawing, whether it's a work instruction, whether it's a protocol, they'll have an opportunity to catch something and then to actually control that document and, and put it out there as Rev 1, Rev 2, Rev 3, Rev 4, yeah. whatever you want to do. And, and I was, when I was running product development for a, a, a big project uh, at, at Ventana and then Roche, I used to push my teams to document early and revise often. I didn't care. If you got up to Rev AA or AB or QZ, I I really didn't care because I had this great rich history. And when you're sending drawings out, even when you're prototyping and you're sending things out to people to have product made and then you bring it back in and you test it, you will always get yourself into a situation if you haven't been controlling those documents every time it leaves your, your control to say, well, wait a second, we did that test, but what version of the board was it that we did the test on? Oh, or, yeah. you know, you know yeah. what was the length of the tubing that we used there? So it doesn't need to be through a, comp- a complete change review board and everything else. It could be just, you know, you and one other person take a look at that drawing and then, or, or that work instruction or that document and put a rev number on it or, or a letter, whatever process you want to use. It's easier to keep track of things, gives you better product when you're done. And no single one of us is better than, you know, the greater number of us. So by having just a few people take a look at that document before you put it out and send it to the machine shop and you spend a bunch of money to have 
you know, a new part design uh, made for you, having someone look at that and doing a little bit of dock control, I think pays huge dividends. I always refer to document management as a foundational to a company. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I have mistakes where we didn't have good documentation in, in place. And the result was you send a print, the machine shop or the the manufacturer who was making a part, they were making it to the wrong version. And then, you know, you got a lot of rework or, you know, scrap or just a lot of extra expenses that you, you don't need. So it's very important. All right. It's a lot of waste. It's a lot yeah. of wasted energy, right. Oh, for, for, sure. for doing something very small. Yeah. All right. And, and, and the other, the other yeah, piece of feedback that I wanted to share was just really starting with the end in mind, coming to coming up with an overarching product development strategy and commercialization strategy and really appreciating the value to some of your grand you know, ideas that you want to accomplish in the future, they take careful planning and they take building some infrastructure early. And I think a lot of people just kind of skip that, that all important planning step and just say, well, we'll do it just in time when we need it. But by then it becomes kind of to our last example, really inefficient and it's not a great use of everyone's time or money when you have to do it at the very end, you know, it's like doing a DFMEA at the very end of the process. You know, after the design's all done, you're just kind of doing lip service, right? You're, you're just thinking yeah. through, you know, well, I got to do this now, so I'm going to do it. Whereas it's actually a valuable tool that if you were thinking from a culture of quality perspective, you would have started it much earlier to be able to have a chance to implement some of the mitigations that you identify could be challenges in the design. So start with the end in mind. Absolutely. That's, those are great pragmatic tips that folks could take. Now, so Devin, folks want to reach out yeah. to you and connect with you. Uh, what's the best way to do that? Uh, they can reach me through my, uh, I have a kind of a, an, an online portal. It's product, P-R-O-D-C-T, there's no U, dot dev, like product dot development. Um, you can reach me there or you can reach me directly through my email, which is dcc at product dot dev. Again, P-R-O-D-C-T. Terrific. Well, Devin, thank you so much for taking some time uh, to chat with me today on MedTech True Quality Stories and share some of your perspectives on what's important about a culture of quality. Folks, I'm so glad that we got to talk with Devin today because, you know, his mindset, his approach, his successes in the medical device industry are what many of you are trying to achieve. And, and we align with that here at Greenlight Guru as well. If you need a little bit of help putting in place a culture of quality, focusing on true quality, and making sure that that those systems that you put in place also uh, satisfy those compliance needs, I would encourage you to reach out to us. Go to www.greenline.guru. Learn more about the Greenlight Guru EQMS software platform that's designed specifically and exclusively for the med tech industry by actual med tech professionals. So be sure to check that out. As always, this is your host, founder and VP of quality and regulatory at Greenlight Guru. And you have been listening to MedTech Through Quality Stories. <laughs>